0: Hello and welcome to Be More Burt, the podcast celebrating lives lived differently. Why Burt? Well, it's because we're being brought to you by Burt's Bees, the natural skincare brand whose founder, Burt, was a pioneer of the good life. Burt encompasses everything we want to champion in this series, doing more of what makes you happy, building connection and community, and inspiring you to tread your own path. I'm Pandora, I'm a journalist and broadcaster, and I will be your host for Be More Burt. In this episode, I'm joined by Lizzie Carr, MBE, a triple world record holder, author and environmentalist. Lizzie, great to meet you. Thank you for having me. You are a lot of impressive things, but I want to start by asking you about your role as a triple world record holder on
1: the paddleboard. How did you get into paddleboarding? Goodness. so I actually didn't start paddleboarding until I was about 26 years old and I, I didn't say it
0: was I started when I was three
1: <laughs> no I wasn't I've never really been like a water baby like I've liked the water I've you know grown up going to the beach that kind of thing but paddleboarding for me came much later in my life so I was diagnosed with cancer when I was 25 and um, very unexpectedly and after I'd finished, the treatment that I went through for that, I went to go and stay with my dad who lives on the Isles of Scilly, which is sort of a, a tiny island at the end of Cornwall. Um, and I just saw somebody one day on the beach paddleboarding, and this was sort of back in 2015, where people went. You not know, no, paddleboarding isn't the sport that it wasn't the sport that it is now, um, and it wasn't wasn't as mainstream as it is. And I just thought, you know what, I really want to have a go at that. I think it would be great for my like physical strength, helping me gain my my physical strength. What I didn't expect to get were the like profound mental health benefits that it brought as well. And I think after that, I just was hooked. Like I was, you know, it became a massive part of my life.
0: So that was something I wanted to ask you about, is how having your diagnosis of thyroid cancer in your mid-20s, how that changed the course of your life, that's what brought you to paddleboarding.
1: Yeah, so I think the, the diagnosis itself, it was a catalyst, really. I think when you're when you're sort of faced with your own mortality in that way you reassess and you you reevaluate everything and at that time i was working in london in a you know a, a corporate office job doing the 9 to 5 grind and it sort of that was a moment where i could take a step back and say actually is that what i want is is this the future that i want to to exist in is this what i want for my life you know if i survive this what do i want my life to look like and i think as much as cancer was my worst nightmare in some ways it was my greatest blessing as well that's such a
0: i was going to say holistic way to look at it but i don't know if that's quite the right word but it feels like you've had you're able to see it from such a kind of 360 perspective that's
1: definitely come in time you know when i first got that diagnosis i was, sort of there was pleading less and bargaining, like bargaining and you know i'll go to the gym every day and i'll never eat chocolate again and i'll do all the right things and i'll look after myself and i'll be really healthy and Just, you know, make everything okay.
0: So how did you go from 26 never being on a paddleboard to breaking your three world records?
1: The more time I spent on the water, the more I was seeing how bad the issue with plastic pollution was. And I just felt that the water for me was a place to to go and be free and just kind of get perspective and feel a sense of calm. But it was always being marred by what I was seeing. Because when you're on the water, you're not just observing nature, you're, you're part of it. You know, you're on a board, it's silent around you. Everything good and bad is magnified. You can see wildlife close up, but you can see the impact of plastic and other litter close up as well. Um, and for me, I wanted to use paddle boarding as a vehicle to be able to talk about environmental issues because at that time, nobody was talking about our canals and rivers and our freshwater environments. There was a little bit of attention on our oceans and marine health, but not on our inland waterways. So my challenges have always been about using paddle boarding as a way to spark conversation about the environment and collecting data about the state of the environment. Tell us about how that led to Planet Patrol. So back in 2016, I paddleboarded the length of England through our connected waterways. So it was a 642-kilometre journey. And I photographed and catalogued every piece of plastic that I encountered on that route and I plotted it on this on this map. And that's just what I could see with my naked eye, not what I could see underwater, what I could see, you know. Was this one of your world records? One of my world firsts. I'd quit my job about nine months before that, kind of expecting to be I was thinking about being a yoga teacher. I was thinking about going into social work. I didn't really know what I was going to do. Paddle boarding and and this challenge was like my eat, pray, love kind of um, experience. Like it was personal as much as it was environmental. And by the time I'd finished that, I thought I'll probably just end up going back into work. But actually what happened was that people all over the world started messaging me saying, you know, I... I understand why you've done this, I know what you're doing, I know what you're trying to achieve, we have this massive problem here. Because at that time, you know, when I tell friends and family about going out and paddleboarding the length of country to track litter, after having my cancer diagnosis, I think they all thought i just completely lost the plot, that I was having this early midlife crisis, that I would get over and go back into, you know, the real world after I'd got over it. But having these people get in touch with me and really show me that there was so much collective support for what I was doing and people really got it. And I hadn't met people that had got it up until that point. It just pushed me to keep going. And that's when I set up Planet Patrol as a formal organisation so that people could come out and join me on paddle boards for free to uh, litter pick and record any litter that we find in what is now the Planet Patrol app, which had started as the map that I'd created. So it was kind of a very squiggly journey into it, but the idea was that I wanted to bring people into the mission. And when you, how often do you go out and
0: do the planet patrols? How many people come with their paddle boards?
1: So we do paddleboarding litter picks all over the country and actually across Europe as well now. Groups usually are about 16 people, um, so they're quite small groups. We supply all the paddleboards, all the kit, all the equipment. Oh, brilliant. People so you can just, just turn up, up
0: to do a litter pick. And yeah. Do you have lots of people who say, I've never been on a paddleboard before, I've never been litter picking, but I want to have a go, I want to take part.
1: Exactly that.
0: Brilliant. I think the, the
1: great thing about it is a lot of people that join us. They're not people that necessarily are thinking much about the environment or litter or behaviour in the environmental space. They just want to have a go at paddleboarding. And that's great because as soon as I get them on the water, they can't get away. (laughs) You can talk to them about it. And it's like a very subtle way of introducing Yeah these issues to people without being forceful, because I think as soon as you talk about plastic pollution or climate, some people feel quite um, overwhelmed by that, and they don't really think it's for them, whereas we're trying to create a space where people feel that they can make a really valuable contribution in a very simple way. We've talked about how the diagnosis changed your life, but how did becoming a mother impact your work? Goodness, I think having a baby just shook everything up but in a in an amazing way and she was born in the middle of the pandemic as well so it was quite um, an interesting time to become a mum but I think yeah like the cancer diagnosis having a baby has definitely been transformative I feel that my work feels more urgent now and I also it's kind of mixed feelings because I love her to see what I do I'm gonna get really emotional and um, I love her to see what I do, but I don't want to have to do it. Yeah, yeah. So I can.
0: You want to take the problem away, but you wish the problem wasn't there to begin with. So if she was born in the pandemic, is she two? Can she? She was three last week. So she started litter picking. Has she started litter
1: picking? (laughs) She she started paddle boarding. Not on the water. Oh, (laughs) so she is litter picking on the water. She's come. We've um, we've been doing a lot of water quality testing as part of a new campaign recently. And she's been on the water with me, doing like sticking the dipsticks in and doing the water tests oh, and asking amazing. me about phosphates. <laughs> so you're going to raise her
0: firmly of the paddleboard. You were tw- You were 26 when you started paddleboarding, but she is going to be a lot younger. Yeah,
1: she is uh, definitely going to be in the paddleboarding world. I think she does really enjoy it. So watch this space. It's so tiny. I'd love to see her. <laughs> love to see
0: her on a paddleboard. And you have an MBE recognising your multiple achievements. Did receiving that feel like, I've done it, or did it not really change anything in terms of the task you have or you feel that you have ahead of you?
1: I mean, yeah, it's nice to get external recognition for the work that you're doing, but I never set out to achieve that. It was never on my radar. It's not sort of a a symbol of achievement necessarily for me personally I think the work still goes on we still need to see so much change in the environmental space specifically with the work I do around sort of fresh water and and water quality and and those kind of issues so yeah I feel like it's kind of just uh, the fight still goes on. Is that all with Planet Patrol or do you work with lots of other organisations? It really varies. I work with other organisations, but Planet Patrol is obviously the non-profit that I set up that takes over everything, really. We're going to touch some more in a second, but before that, I'm going to take a moment to
0: share the love story behind Bert's Bees. Along with his partner, Roxanne, Bert didn't just pioneer a natural skincare company, he pioneered a way of life, the good life. He realised something. If you go your own way and make more time for what makes you happy, you'll live a richer life. So Bert did just that, leaving his high-flying Manhattan job to live at one with nature. In the wilderness of Maine, he got friendly with some bees. Together they turned beeswax into lip balms, hand creams and more. Bert has shown us that if you love something, don't be scared to jump in, even if it can sting you because doing more of what makes you happy is what life is all about we've been out and about asking you how you live the good life and the things that you are passionate about and here's what you had to say spending as much time with like the people that i love and just being totally accepting of everything and everyone just kind of like really meditating on that sitting on it so um definitely traveling with my friends like here and stuff um just completely like accepting them for who they are.
1: Um, I love to live the good life by uh, figure skating. So I'm a professional figure skater and I feel whenever I'm feeling stressed, I love to just glide on the ice and just release and just do my thing. It makes me feel free. I love to just listen to music and also just like move my body and just take in the moment and also like connect with other people on the ice.
0: Thanks for sharing. Tell us how you live the good life by sharing your story with us on TikTok and Instagram at Burt's Bees using the hashtag beMoreBert. Lizzie, you really encapsulate the Burt's ethos of if you believe something, do something. And if you take from nature, don't forget to give back. Do you have any advice for listeners on how to start giving back to nature
1: and how to begin making a change? find a community of like-minded people that are passionate about the things that you care about taking on environmental issues that you care about as an individual can feel really overwhelming mm-hmm. and i think for me the way that i have managed to avoid burnout and a lot of the sort of the mental turmoil that comes with doing environmental campaigning work is finding people that are on the same page as me, that are supporting the mission and want to be involved. And Planet Patrol is is my community. And I think that's what keeps me going and keeps me motivated every day, because I know there's people out there that are fighting the same fight as me. And that's really motivating.
0: Lizzie, you've experienced many different challenges, personal and political. I mean, you've got a lot up against you when you're trying to clear the waterways when you're trying to eliminate litter. Um, Could you talk about some of those challenges and how you navigated them?
1: I think the political challenges have been really interesting because although a lot of the work I do at Planet Patrol started with litter and my own understanding of, of environmental issues started with litter, I think it's very much a gateway issue. Well, it certainly was for me. And our work now is much broader, it's sort of looking at water quality it's sort of a sewage pollution and agricultural pollution and other issues affecting our water quality. And back in 2018, when I was training to do one of my sort of world first challenges uh, on the River Hudson in New York, I was on my local river, just doing sprints, basically, just um, just training for it. And I fell in, and I got really ill. And I remember people saying to me within the sub community, "No, just have a can of fizzy drink," kind of basically. This is what you, ex- you sh- this is what you should expect when you use the water. And that just didn't sit right with me. I felt that we shouldn't be trivialising getting sick from falling in and ingesting water, and we shouldn't be normalising it mm. either. So that's where I started doing a lot of research and work into water quality. And I think what's been so disappointing to me throughout the sort of campaigning journey that I've been on is the total lack of political will that we see now to take meaningful action on our waterways, even when public pressure is as high as it is today. And I would just like to feel that the very urgent issues that are being put to government are being addressed quickly enough so I won't go into the the, the sort of the, the big details about it but in terms of testing so a lot of what we do is citizen science testing because there's such a knowledge deficit on water quality in this country there's just no baseline understanding of the extent or the scale of the problem that we're facing and so for me it's about mobilizing people within their communities to go out there and collect this really valuable data because government isn't isn't doing the work, isn't doing the testing and by not doing the testing they don't have to make decisions, they don't have to take urgent action because they don't have the information. So that's what we're trying to do is kind of gather the data, build the evidence to then push for the, the, the policy changes, the legislation that we want to see. So that for me has been a, a really big challenge and something that I've kind of had to learn on the job in terms of navigating.
0: You're so right that it is normalised. Like I was just thinking back to all the times I've been told or I've said to my children, no, don't swim in the river, no, don't go here, don't go there, and you expect to get a rash. And as you say, if you swallow any water, you definitely expect to get a dodgy tummy. Um, So there's just been that expectation for a really long time. And I'd never actually, I'd never done the why, which is what all of your work is about, is why do we have... To live with this you know it's so it's so unfair for the water (laughs) not just just us it's why should nature have to put up with that as well has it changed your relationship with nature as a whole it's obviously completely changed your relationship with water but has it changed your relationship to being outside to feeling at one with
1: nature Again, a bit like what I mentioned earlier with the kind of mixed feelings with uh, with sort of having my daughter and doing what I do for a living. I think it's the same with nature because on the one hand, the very best of nature, but also the very worst of it, and the same way you're seeing the very best of humanity, but then when you see litter, you're seeing the very worst of it. Yeah. So I think it's quite a mixed relationship I have with nature, and I think as well, because often when I'm going out and I'm paddleboarding, when I first started, I was very much using it for personal pleasure. Like, it was my safe space. It was where I would go Feels to feel... It like your job now. Yeah, now it's become my work and i and I think I'm really trying to restore that balance again. That's really important yes. to me to go out and not have to necessarily take a water quality testing kit every time I go out or pick up litter. I think naturally you just do. Um, but it definitely has become a job um, and I don't want it to feel like that. I think that's a difficult thing, isn't it, when your job is also
0: something you love doing. And so it's where does the hobby well in your case it's not a hobby, it's a skill. <laughs> but I often think about how if your job is a lot of things that you started by enjoying, where you draw those parameters.
1: Yeah, and I don't get me wrong, Like I still love paddleboarding, but I think sometimes yeah, I need to go out for... Home. Yeah, I need to do it for me more, just sometimes to go out and just almost strip back everything that I sort of built with Planet Patrol and just have a lovely time on the water with my daughter or on my own and just, like you say, enjoy what's around me enjoy the sound of nature just kind of immerse myself back into it without thinking too much but it's almost impossible to do you know are you drawn to other
0: water sports now has paddle boarding opened the doors or is it only paddleboarding? is there something very it's obviously much more meditative it's not like water skiing yeah. it's obviously much more meditative and you're able to litter pick
1: <laughs> yeah so I actually wakeboard I haven't done that for a little while but I used to really love weight which was sort of a bit more high adrenaline and I was actually saying to a friend yesterday how I'd really love to try kite surfing so I think I don't know if it was paddleboarding that started it I think all around the same time, I sort of got into paddleboarding. I was like, well, "What else is there? What else is there?" But paddleboarding for me has always been the the one that's consistently been there as a sport. I've just been drawn to it.
0: Any job which involves advocacy or activism of some kind obviously comes now with a large online obligation. You have to post about your work. You want to encourage people to sign up to petitions, to encourage people to come to events. You know, bring bring them along on the journey so they learn and so they uh, so that they fight what you're fighting for. But how do you manage, because they're they're polar opposites really, being out on the water, on your own sometimes, no noise, no stimulation aside from what you're seeing, and then of course being online where it's um, an extremely stimulated space. How do you balance, I mean possibly you've got the best balance of all because every time you feel too overstimulated you can go and paddleboard and every time you need to reach lots of people you can go on social media, but do you have any tips about how you manage that?
1: I think what you've just said is sums it up perfectly, really. Like, when it does feel too much, paddleboarding is an escapism. I think I'm quite good at just switching off from social media and just sort of turning away from it. I need to for myself. And like you say, coming back into it and talking about my work. But I think so much of my work is offline. and I don't think people really see, and that's because I don't really show so much of what goes on behind the scenes because... It's probably quite dull to look at, you know, doing like political campaigning work and writing emails and and doing the sort of the 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 labour behind the scenes yeah. isn't particularly exciting, and um, it's actually being out on the paddleboard and being on the water and sort of the actual, you know, t- testing the kits and and um, seeing what water quality is in that moment that people really want to see. So, yeah, I think for me, I'm just really careful about how much attention and time. I give to social media and I really try and make sure everything I'm posting is offering some kind of value. Have your goals changed since you started on
0: your mission? Has your mission statement changed since you started on your mission? Or does it just adapt
1: as new challenges or small wins? It's a really good question. I think the ultimate goal of protecting our freshwater environments and making sure they are safe spaces for wildlife ecosystems, humans, remains the same. But the challenges throughout don't change but evolve as, like, I feel like my understanding of issues has grown so much from where I first started, you know, from campaigning about plastic to the work that I do now around water quality. They are at two ends of of a spectrum. Mm -hmm. So I think that will continue to evolve as we learn more about uh, scandals like we're learning with water companies for example Mm. but the, the ultimate goal has always remained the same. Do you have any plans to go global so at Planet Patrol we work with a lot of reps who deliver sessions in partnership with us and we have a lot in the UK but uh, places like Germany and France and um, even in America and a couple in Australia. so we already have sort of footholds in various countries because it's a global issue it's a global yeah. problem and because we care like we care about the not we care about this and because we're collecting data in an app that is scientifically robust, It is um, accessible to everybody and it's on an international scale. It means that, you know, if you're going out and collecting information about water quality or about litter, you can put it all in a central repository. And by doing that, we can analyse it and understand it and look at trends and patterns in the UK. But, you know, what's happening in Scandinavia versus what's happening here based on what laws they have there and what laws we have here. So, for example, we don't have a deposit return scheme in this country yet, even though it was promised six years ago. But over in Scandinavia, they do. So the types of litter, for example, that we're seeing here versus there are very different de- based on what's our data. the deposit scheme? The bottle, de- the, the basically oh, bottles. Bottle deposit. Yeah, exactly. So you put a, a bottle in a, a vending machine and you get 20p back or whatever it is. So the countries where they have implemented that scheme across Europe, it's highly effective, and then when they're not seeing much of, you know, plastic bottles, glass bottles, whatever it is that Mm. they put in these vending machines, as litter, whereas we are. So we know from our data that if we did implement this, it would see a huge reduction it's around 30% of all litter that we collect could be captured in a deposit return scheme. So that's why the data side of stuff is so valuable to us because it's not just about going out and collecting litter and putting it in the bin and and recycling. It's about collecting the data from that litter so that we can hold brands accountable, so that we can understand what's happening on a global scale and look to make and push for, for changes to reflect the positive work that is being done in other countries.
0: Is the bottle deposit scheme something you are really lobbying for?
1: One of many things we're lobbying for. Yeah, I mean, the list is endless.
0: (laughs) To finish, Lizzie, we're asking all of our guests what living the good life means to them.
1: Living a good life for me is about living with balance, pursuing what you're passionate about with conviction, but making sure you're looking after yourself at the same time. I think that sounds like a great thing to
0: strive for. Thank you for listening to Be More Bert, the podcast all about celebrating lives lived differently. And thank you to my guest today, Lizzie Carr. Keep listening for more episodes. They're all available right now, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you get a sec, please give us a follow and a like. And of course, we want to hear from you. If you would like the chance to win a year's supply of Burt's Bees, tell us how you live the good life by sharing your story with us on TikTok and Instagram at Burt's Bees UK using the hashtag BeMoreBurt. For the terms and conditions and all the info, head over to www.beMoreBert.co.uk. See you next time.